G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Joining me today is Dr. Verlaine Crawford. She's the very first doctor to ever be on the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. She has a doctorate in humane letters, and just this year she was awarded an honorary doctorate degree in humanitarianism. She's an inspirational speaker, transformational uh, coach, and author of six books, two of which were published this year. Um, she's travelled the world, sharing her wisdom on personal growth and spiritual development, and I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank, thank you for you. being here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to start, because you've got a really impressive list of accolades, and I know your career, you, you spent 40 years in marketing, but I really want to dig into who are you actually when you put aside all of that. So can you take us back to who you were as a child? Oh, I'd love to. I was very fortunate. I had a lovely childhood uh, in Iowa. I was born in San Francisco, but my mom moved back. That was during the war and then moved to uh, to Iowa. And then my dad and mom built a home out in the country uh, near LeClaire, Iowa, which is along the Mississippi River. And the Mississippi there is a mile wide. I mean, it is huge, but it actually freezes over in the winter and people drive their cars over to Illinois oh, wow. across wow. the river, which has been amazing. So it was a, a beautiful a home, a lovely home with a view of the river. And then behind us, not only somebody else owned it, but there were 40 acres of forest that we could play in. And so we had a lot of neighborhood kids, and we played cowboys and Indians and all of the things that you do, hide and seek in the forest. And uh, it just was lovely. And went ice skating on it and then went boating. So that was really cool. Uh, it was absolutely great until I was 12. And then I had an accident where my feet got cut in a lawnmower. And that was not good. But I survived and I can dance and walk and I'm fine. You know, I just uh, cut off a little toe, which we really oh. don't need. <laughs> <laughs> then, unfortunately, my father left the family. So that was uh, messed up everything, so to speak. And we moved to California, my mother, my brother, and I. We were living up in by Travis Air Force Base because my mom had a job with the government. And she could transfer there from uh, the Rock Island Arsenal, which was in uh, Illinois. We didn't like it there because it was so different. You know, in Iowa, everybody's settled into their homes. They, uh, Each community is like a family. And here's uh, this Air Force base where people are zooming in and out and the children are there for a little while and then gone. And so by Christmas of, the ne- of that year, some friends of my mom who had retired moved to Carmel, California, which, is, for those that don't know, is a beautiful sort of English village. I think maybe only one of the few in the country, uh, except maybe on the East Coast. 
right on the ocean, on the Pacific Ocean, and they invited us for Christmas. And we're driving down um, Ocean Avenue uh, at night, the night before Christmas, and all the little shops have lights and the beautiful pine trees are there, and it was, oh, I said, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. And then the next morning it was bright and sunny, and there was this gorgeous beach, all white beach with uh, pebble beach and uh, golf course, and it's just absolutely lovely. And so I went on a campaign to get my mother to move there. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we couldn't afford it because there was a lot of pretty wealthy people there. But there was an apartment we were able to rent, and uh, then my mom actually sold a lot back in Iowa, and we bought a great big house that was a guest house, and she was able to rent out rooms, and there was an apartment she could rent out so we could afford to be there. Anyway, high school was great. Um, I thought I wanted to be an astronomer, and (laughs) astronomy was fascinating to me because of cosmic uh, theory and the whole study of the universe and everything, so I took, uh, you know, physics and all the trig and all the other fancy stuff and also studied Russian and German because I was wow. quite sure that we were going to be working with them, you know, in our space exploration. And then I, in my senior year, I was invited to, um, well, I was asked to meet, represent Carmel High School at the Model United Nations at Berkeley. And so we represented, uh, what did we are Uruguay. And it was the Ad Hoc Educational Council I was on. And I came up with this idea of mobile educational units and mobile libraries and so forth. And uh, went to, uh, to Berkeley. And it was so cool because all the kids were different countries dressed. I didn't even think to dress like somebody from Uruguay, but I didn't even know <laughs> what that would be. But anyway, you know, the Cubans were dressed like the Cubans, and it was all that with their uniforms. And uh, what happened? Oh, I I found out I could talk to people really well and Mm. uh, convince them of this idea and work with a group and everything. And so I changed my major. (laughs) I decided to go out in space, you know. I did that later, but (laughs) in my mind. And... uh, (laughs) And just uh, went into international relations, so I came back down to earth in my in my thinking. Except my mom, you know, my mom was always telling me to uh, be practical, and I think, and she used to think that I was strange because she said, "I don't know what I was doing," but she said, "You can see the leaves on trees when the trees are bare." So I guess I was seeing things and telling them about it, but I don't remember <laughs> what that was all about. Anyway, so that was pretty normal, and I went to UC Berkeley uh, for college, and then, um, oh my goodness, we moved to down to Los Angeles, and uh, my brother and uh, some friends went to in business together in a restaurant, and uh, that was wild. Crawford House, drawn by Anaheim near Disneyland, and it was the same year as the Watts Riots, which... Uh, the people, the purveyors who were bringing food to the restaurant um, would come with bullet holes in the sides of their trucks. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't a great year. So uh, we got out of that. And then I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I love to write. And, I, uh, and I'm a pretty good communicator, so um, I got a job with an ad agency. And after 
my beginning jobs, I then became chief copywriter of ad agencies. So that's pretty much my childhood and uh, love school, and it was fascinating. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's amazing. And already, this is just, you know, younger you, you tried so many different things. I mean, do you think that was the norm? It just said, I am endlessly curious. And so mm. I think that uh, that's what has led me through my life. And l- luckily, I chose eventually this marketing aspect, marketing, advertising, and public relations, because it can apply to any kind of business. And, you know, and so that way I got to entertain my fascination with so many different types of business and everything. Mm-hmm. And have clients. At some point, I had my own ad agency, and uh, so I had all different clients and worked with. Uh, God, early days with the ad agency was RCA, Pontiac, General Electric, Ortho Mattress. Uh, the girls in the uh, office who were absolutely darling had a lot of suggestions for Ortho Mattress, <laughs> but they, <laughs> most of them didn't get in the ads. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were they were really cute. And uh, God, that was. And then I became editor of a newspaper. What happened is I, what happened? I was. Oh yeah, that's the cool. The most important thing is when I was 22, and I was working at. Um, oh, I was going to. It's a, it just sounds so funny because one of my friends said, "Verlaine, I think you came here to do everything." <laughs> So I like to say I've done almost everything legal. That's legal, you know. (laughs) So I was going to fashion design school, of course, right? Doesn't that go with everything else? Uh huh. And uh, and in the evenings, I was working uh, as a cocktail waitress at a very nice hotel in their lounge, so to make money. And I had met this fellow. He had had a heart attack, and so I was very sad. And so I'm in the elevator ready to go down in the building. It was on a Sunday, actually. And uh, there was a uh, man in the elevator with me, and he saw that I was sad, and he said, you know, I was like you a year ago. And uh, I was actually far worse. I was just sitting on a curb in Los Angeles, and this man came up to me and told me to make a list of the things I wanted and the date by which it would happen. And he said, I'd lost everything at that time. I, I, all my business and buildings and everything, I, you know, went bankrupt. And so he said, I did. I made my list. And he said, everything has come true. And uh, I said, that's great. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. For you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, uh, and he said, no, no, no. I have to show you. I've got to show you. Oh, and the elevator was going up. That's right. It was going up, and he pushed a button. This is such a rickety old elevator that you could push a button and it turned around and started going back down again. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, so we're going down. He says, the first thing on my list was a white Thunderbird convertible, brand new. And uh, he said, look, look, come outside with me, and I'll show you. And in front of the building was this beautiful Thunderbird convertible, you know. And he said, and the second thing in my building was I was on my uh, list was that I would own a building on Wilshire Boulevard. And he said, come get in the car. I'll show you. Well, for some reason, I trusted him or yeah. I think partially as I thought I could get out of the convertible pretty easily if I needed to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so we go around the corner and up to Wilshire a little bit, and he said, that's my building. And I said, really? And he said, uh, and I've got all of the, I put on the next list was that all of the offices would be rented uh, by a certain date. And he said, and I've only got one more to do. And he said, look, and he, he goes up, gets out of the car, goes to the building and unlocks the door. And I'm thinking, he's the janitor. That's why he's got a key, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so he takes me, he, I, I walk in the room and he shows me this chart that he's made and uh, says this thing. And he says, to, uh, next week I have rented and I'm moving into a penthouse apartment across the street there. And he pointed at this building. And I'm thinking, wow. So we go back to the building, up to the rooms, and uh, that was it as far as I was concerned. And he said, make your list, make a list, and you know. And so I'm in my apartment. Now, it was just a little apartment, the kind they had a Murphy bed. I don't know if you know what yeah. that is, but you pull the bed out of the wall. Just a little tiny place because I didn't have a lot of money, right? And uh, so, I, and then a minute later, I hear knock at the door. And I'm going, what does he want now? And I opened the door, and he handed me a book, As a Man Thinketh, by James Allen. This is a book that was written, I think, in the 20s, either the 20s or 30s, I think 20s. And uh, he said, make your list. I never saw him again. It was so bizarre, because he was like an angel that came at that moment, right? And I never, even, I don't think I even got his name at all. And so... Oh. I started reading the book, and, and I said, all right, all right, I'll make a list, you know, so I make a list. And the first thing I put on the list was that I would be modeling, because here I am at the fashion design school, so I'm thinking I could do modeling, right? And um, and that was in March, so I said by April, about uh, around April 15th, and then I would be on television. Now, I didn't even have a television at that time. I'd be on yeah. TV. In a, in a uh, let's see, that was March, so it was April, in May, and in July 1st, by July 1st, I would be living in an apartment at the beach, you know, that would have access to the beach, I said, and then the last thing was that I'd be driving an XKE Jaguar on my birthday, which is in wow. December, uh-huh. and you can see, these, this is a really crazy list. Because mm. none of it made any sense based on, except maybe the modeling, but nothing else made sense. So what happens, and this is the most important thing, because this was the key for the beginning of this fantastic life, good and bad, because when I listened to the guidance that I would receive, it was great. When I didn't, it was terrible. Okay, so um, we like to think we have free will. And what I say is that free will creates our fate, and our intuition, our, I call it angelic guidance, or you can call it God, you can call it universal intelligence, whatever it is, our higher self is giving us guidance all the time, is always available. And when you listen to that, you get your destiny. That's mm-hmm. different than fate, because you then are moving into a higher realm of who you are. So what happened was, um, I'm working at the cocktail, as a cocktail waitress there, I said, and uh, I overhear these people talking about Ayn Rand and the Fountainhead, the book The Fountainhead. And I had read that when I was at Berkeley, and it really hit me because it's all about freedom, 
and about using your talents and about expanding. And it just was so meaningful to me. Mm. And so, um, and then these, I was hearing them say that there was tryouts for a play about the fountainhead. I said, well, that'd be interesting. So I went over and I said, do you know where they're doing the trials? And they said, at Capitol Records. Now, see, this is where you have to understand the treasure hunt it is. Because you don't, it's just what kind of touches you and says, hmm, that's interesting. Oh, I could I could do that, you know, or, or I could think about that. So I called them up and I talked to the lady and um, she said, uh, what part do you want to play? And uh, I said, well, I'm the lead. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't any other really women in the story, right? It was just mm, mm, Daphne, mm. and there it is, you know, and you got to play Daphne. And so uh, she said, well, you sound very young. And I said, oh, I look old. I really look old. <laughs> and I had just cut my hair like Twiggy, very, very, yeah. very short, right? Uh-huh. And so I got a wig, and I tied it back. I thought that was going to make all the difference. And... <laughs> And so I go to the meeting, and she says, you're pretty young for the part. And, and why do you want to be an actress? I was, you know, I was 22. So was a little, uh-huh, uh-huh. don't look terrible yet, but close. <laughs> 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 um, she, uh, what do you, so, well, um, you know, what are you thinking about being an actress? And I said, well, I really don't want to be an actress. I want to be a writer. Now, and mm-hmm. that is a really dumb thing to say, but it just... <laughs> Poured out of my mouth. (laughs) I'm there for a play, right? And she said, oh, okay. And she went out of the room, and she came back with the uh, editor-in-chief of the Keynotes, which was the magazine of Capitol Records. Wow. And he talked to me for a little bit, and he said, how would you uh, like to be editor in the magazine? I go, I always want to work on a magazine, always. (laughs) You know? Totally amazing. And so what happens, again, I like to explain this because what I've studied about it is that you come up with an idea Mm -hmm. and the guides give you the desires of your heart. So I decided that I would go to Capitol Records thinking, well, that's, you know, I could try a play, why not, you know. And here it is that the desire of my heart to work for for the magazine, was something far greater. So I quit the uh, fashion school, and I left the cocktail lounge, and now I'm working at Capitol Records in the round building in Hollywood, you know, and I was like, so cool. And um, I became friends with the art director, who was a lady from Holland, and uh, less than a couple weeks later, she said, how would you like to model for the magazine? Oh, my God. (laughs) For what? (laughs) And so I, my picture was taken with a record player that was like a, a bench that had a cushion on it and advertising, advertising that. Now, I did not ask for the cover of Vogue, right? I just said I'd be modeling. So I modeled, modeled a record player. And then a little while later, um, about two weeks later, still, still in before the dates, uh, this fellow calls me up and he says, how would you like to be on television? He was a guy I had dated in the past. And he and I said, really? What? And he says, yeah, they're they're doing a computer dating game. Now, this is long before the PC. 
this is back in ancient history. This would be like 68, okay? And um, I said, yeah, I think that'd be great. And he said, well, you don't get paid, but you get to go to the Magic Castle in Hollywood. And I I had always thought that would be a fun thing to do. You know, Uh I'd heard about it. So I was on the on the TV show, and uh, it didn't work out very well. None of the people really matched very well. <laughs> and, but we had a great dinner at Magic Castle with the with the magicians. Uh-huh. So now I'm thinking, all right, this thing's working, you know. Mm-hmm. So I call my mom up and I said, I'm, I'm going to go look for an apartment at the beach. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, Well, have you got a newspaper with what's for rent? And I said, No. I'm just going to drive from Newport Beach north <laughs> and see what I end up with. You want to come along? Uh-huh. So she's riding with me, right? I'm just, and I come up south of Long Beach, and there's a road that goes over that goes over a bridge, which is part of an inland bay. And uh, I see a, this next street says rent, apartment for rent. So I turn left, and uh, there on the right side, facing the water, is this lovely house and said an apartment and in the back they had like a little guest house that uh, was just darling it had just a kitchen and, and a bedroom living room combination kind of thing and a park neck little not park a, a lawn next to it and uh, so what happened is that I moved of course there it was very reasonable it was like what was the price then like something like $120 which is just absurd today right uh-huh. you can uh-huh. take it times 20 and or no much more than that whatever and so um i'm on the uh i have a, i invite all the different bands to come and play in the yard next door with this big beautiful palm tree and everything and parties it was terrific and i'm driving <laughs> to capitol records you know Oh, my God. So that was really great. And, oh, then I started dating this fellow. I don't even remember how I met him at this moment. And uh, he had a yellow XKE Jaguar. And on my birthday, he said, how would you like to drive the car tonight? Mm-hmm. I was driving the Jaguar. I didn't ask or say that I would be owning a Jaguar. <laughs> I said I'd be driving. <laughs> yeah. So listen, when you're making your list... You know, pay attention to what you're actually saying. But in this case, who cares? It was great. You know, each thing worked fantastically. So then I'm there in Long Beach area, and I hear that the Queen Mary is going to come in. And in that at that time, it left England, went around the, the, um, South America. I don't think it went through the canal. It went around and then was coming into Long Beach Harbor. And so I thought, well, I'll go ahead and see what's going on over there. And they needed someone to do PR. So I became the director of PR for that episode. of, And they called me at midnight and said, we're sneaking the Queen Mary into dry dock. And that was because a, a union threat was uh, coming. And so they at midnight, we all got on the ship and rode in and with the Fugazi people who owned the ship. And, oh, it was absolutely fascinating. So the thing, you know, I really want people that are listening to realize is you have to take off the blocks. The reason this worked so well and the reason things went as well as they did at that particular moment is because I had no blocks. 
I thought it was just fun, mm. you know, but we get so serious and we get so caught up in, oh, I've got to have this. I really, And what you're saying basically would say, I really need this. I want this. I say, you're saying you don't have it. You just say that you have it, you know, that that is mine and it's going to happen. And you just get that space within you where it's, where it's going to, that's that feeling. And so then I was in a car accident and I got some insurance, uh, $2,500. And I'd always wanted to go to Europe. And so I took off for Europe. And at that time, you could go to Europe for $5 a day. That was wow. a lot of money, you know. I was, yeah. uh, I was in good shape, <laughs> <laughs> and stayed with uh, um, Marianne, who was the lady from Holiday. Stayed with her parents in Zanford, and then I took the train and went to uh, Italy, to Rome, and then I just really wanted to go to Greece and to the Isle of Crete because that's the birthplace of Western civilization, and it was an amazing journey amazing journey just beautiful so that all worked out very very well so I came came back and now I wasn't sure what I was going to do uh, what was next on the <laughs> on the cosmic <laughs> list right? yeah, yeah. I had done a lot of dating during this you know first few years of being on the in the world of my 22 to to uh, 25 and that's why I went to had to go to Europe because I wanted to go as a student right and Mm -hmm. 25 was kind of a break off on that (laughs) from my (laughs) point of view so uh I get back and I the thing I kept asking for was an honest man I wanted an honest man in my life and why I had that as a criteria is because I had met so many gentlemen that weren't gentlemen that they you know, we're married or uh, very tied up with someone else, but they still come in to date you. And um, and so then one day I wake up and I hear this voice in my head. And I had heard guidance like that before a little bit, but this was really loud. And it said, go to the passport agency. Go to the passport agency. Hmm. Going, I have a passport. Why? Why yeah. am I going to the passport agency? And so I thought about it. This is on the weekend. And, uh, well, maybe they have a job. Maybe I'm supposed to get a job there, you know. And so I called my mom again because I didn't have a car at that moment because mm-hmm. I sold everything to go to Europe. And, uh, and she, I said, I have to go to the, the passport agency downtown Los Angeles tomorrow on Monday. And it comes Monday and it is pouring rain. Absolutely mm-hmm. buckets of rain, which hardly ever happens in Southern California. But uh, she said, well, you want to postpone it, right? And I said, no, I have to go today. Got to go today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it, I don't know if people have seen the movie Ghost, but in that movie with, um, what's her name? Uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Mm. She was getting this... Mm-hmm sound of this voice of what she was supposed to do. Go, go there, go there, go there. And she kept resisting, right? Mm. But when you get it, you get it. And so I I go to the passport agency, I take the test and pass. And then the lady said, "Uh, well, you're going to meet a nice young man here. 
which most in people who you know interview you uh, don't say. No, and, no, I don't say that. And so I got to the passport agency, did signing in about a week later, and I feel this warmth on the back of my head, and I turn around and I see John, and John and I have been together now fifty four years, which is just amazing. And I, I can't tell you what it's like, but except to say that just to feel this love that never ends you know he can be he can be silly he can be upsetting he can be crazy and the love doesn't ever change and it's just a wonderful feeling and so we we met and it turned out he was asking the universe for someone he could talk to and uh that he he just you know wanted a somebody that would be a friend you know uh, not just, I, I guess, a woman. I guess he was thinking a woman. <laughs> and uh, we were together the first, about 10 years the first time, and a lot of our friends were divorcing or breaking up, whatever. And uh, they asked John, why, you know, you two have been together a long time. Well, you know, what keeps you together? And he said, well, we started a conversation and we haven't ended it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So that was really, really nice. I feel like some people in society who are a bit more closed-minded might call all of this luck. Now, I want to hear more about, I think you referred to it as angelic guidance, right? Or what some people might call intuition. Is, you know, the messages you received and, and the voice telling you to go to the passport agency, is that what you would call angelic guidance? Yes, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Mm. Because it's so... Perfect. Yeah. You know, it, and there was never, there was never any feeling that this was a wrong decision. Mm. We did have a period of time during those 54 years that he went to Europe, and that was in um, 1986, and he met a whole group of people that were just completely simpatico to him. And... In the process, he, one of the people was a, a very nice lady, and they got together and started. We had an opportunity to build homes, to design and build homes in the south of France. And he had gone through a period of time where I was, um, I was, I was moving and grooving, you know, and and but he wasn't. And I just said, "Go for it, go for it," because it. Uh, there's a poem by. Cahil Gibran about love and they talk about two trees growing side by side and that they intertwine and then they come apart and intertwine you know this is it's a flow and it was it was difficult but I was so happy that he was doing something that really got to experience his talents and his abilities that it was he was seemed very shut down in this country it, it wasn't working for him so that was, but he was there uh, until uh, 2000 and then came back. And when we got back together again, it, oh, and then we did even have one moment when I went to uh, Europe and he had a feeling that I was, uh, no, he didn't have a feeling. He had a feeling to leave Spain and go to Paris. And I was mm -hmm. in Paris. He called his dad. His dad said, she's, she's there. And uh, 
gave the phone number, and we had a fabulous week in Paris together. You know, it was just. And so when we got together back again in 2000, his mom, his my mom died in 2003, no 2001, and then his dad died in 2003. And when we were together, it was like we'd never been apart, except that we had lots of stories to tell, lots of experiences to share, you know, which um, has been really nice. Then after the trip and meeting John. I got the oh that's why I went to the uh, to his area San Gabriel which we're back in right now because he was in this area and it made sense to live near where he was living and uh, I'm driving by this uh, building that said San Gabriel Sun newspapers and uh, have a feeling to go in and it's just like you go stop the car go in that building and. Uh, and the 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 editor had just quit that day. Wow, wow. Yeah, and uh, and so they had they had me meet and we met and I became editor of the six weekly newspapers, which was really fun. It was great. I got to to do that, and then that led to the man who owned the ad agency in uh, on Ulster that uh, had all these big accounts. And he had seen my writing and so forth. And actually, it was John's father knew him. He used to go to the racetrack together. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a marvelous, crazy. In fact, let's see, Jack Lawler, that was his name. He, uh, he was wealthy, very wealthy from all that he was doing. And so when he would go to the track, the racetrack with horses, he'd buy tickets for every horse. Wow. <laughs> he discovered, oh, I'm winning, I'm winning. <laughs> That's one way to do it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Why not, you know? So one evening, I, at about 5.30, left the office and was going down under the building and uh, where the parking garage was, and it was four floors under. And here was a small room with uh, two doors and two elevators. And I came down and headed for the door, and coming in the door was a man dressed in a guard uniform. He happened to be a black man, but he was coming in, and I looked in his eyes. I just happened to, you know, to pass them, but I usually don't do that, But and the voice in my head said, run. Mm. It was so out of <laughs> context that I just went, yeah. I started arguing. So mm -hmm. for anyone that liked to know that when you are receiving intuitive guidance, like you're driving a car and you hear, turn the wheel, <laughs> right, toward the, toward the right, you, do it, you, should, you need to do it right then because these, what happens after that is the argument from your mind. Mm. So the, the intuition is always a first statement and it's, it's, it's often strange, but listen and obey because I didn't I argued I said I don't feel like running why should I run it's late mm -hmm. I don't want to run blah 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 right <laughs> and so I'm reaching for the door and uh, he comes behind me and put his arm around my neck tightly with a knife at my throat and 
that was a shock, you know, and then I go, oh, that was why I was supposed to run, right? So he pushes me toward the other door, and then luckily the other elevator went ding, doors open, he transferred the knife to my back, the Mm. men start to come out, and they told me later they didn't know what was going on because it was so bizarre to see somebody with this guy with the armor on my mind deck and he's in a guard uniform. So mm, like, mm. what did I do? Right. Yeah. And then he stabbed me in the back and they, and I said, Oh my, he did stab me. And they pulled me into the elevator and then my lung collapsed and uh, that hurts like hell. And I thought I was dying. So I, um, they brought me upstairs and, there's a whole rigmarole with the police and everything, and then the ambulance, and we get to the hospital and so forth. It's such a it's such an amazing experience because, you know, when I think about people that are in the war zone right now, two of them that we hear about a lot, which is in Israel and uh, Gaza, and then in in the Ukraine, and it's just like the, to go through something like that is so traumatic. And mm. there's so many different ways that people are being hurt today that it's so sad. And it's been that way for thousands of years, unfortunately. And what help, What happened then is after I got well, I was very afraid. I had uh, a lot of PTSD where I was, like, afraid all the time. You know, and if someone was walking behind me, I'm getting against the wall and let them wipe by and so forth. Mm-hmm. So then it was about eight months later, and I'm trying to work with the police to find this guy. And they said, oh, at one point they said, you can go downstairs, and uh, we think he might be there. This is about a month later, right? And uh, I said, well, will you be there, uh, you know, yeah. attack me? And he said, oh, no. And hmm. I said, well, what if he tries to attack me again? He says, oh, they do that sometimes. Ah. <laughs> I know. It was it was crazy, and you know when you think about it, this was a long time ago. I was twenty seven, mm-hmm. and this was nineteen seventy one, and it was just unheard of. We never, you know, those kinds of things didn't happen, especially in a beautiful building on Miracle mm-hmm. Mile. And the miracle was that these two men that were that saved me basically were. Upstairs on the lobby floor, they had gotten into a different elevator, the one across from it, the one that Mm. I had been in that's going up, right? right? And this guy, one guy, he was an attorney, he said, I felt like I was being pushed out of that elevator. I told him, I told the other guy, he says, we have have to go down and we'll get our uniforms because they were going to play Mm. baseball later. And uh, because it's in August, so it's still going to be light. And uh, so they ended up being at that moment to save me when that door opened, you know. So, again, and he's, he actually said, I felt like an angel was pushing me. Wow. And I, I just, you know, it was a miracle, miracle mile, actually, <laughs> came true. But anyway, about eight months later, the police came into the bu- building, they came into our office and said, everybody out of the building, everybody out of the building. I said, well, what's going on? They said, bomb threat, 15th Mm. floor, which was our floor. And I said, Mm. I went home to John. I said, John, that's it. I'm going back home, going to Carmel. I don't want to work in a war zone. Don't blame you, you. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I did, and uh, by chance I got a, uh, 
Uh, there was a job opening as the director of the Chamber of Commerce in Seaside, and Seaside was the black community. I had worked with them before. I worked at Fort Ord Hospital, and I worked with black people. I loved them. I thought they were delightful. And so it was beautiful because I got to, I went back into that experience of of positive experience, and it helped to heal mm. that feeling, you know, of, you know, they're out to get me kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It really helped. And I went to a psychologist. And, but the key thing for me, and could be for, has been for many people that I've worked with, is going to this workshop in Carmel. And this was in 1977. So it's about six years later. And I was very scared up to then. I couldn't watch a television show that or a movie that was scary. And my hands would start sweating and I, you know, it just, it wouldn't be good. And so anyway, I went and uh, to this workshop. It was a three-day workshop for neuro-linguistics programming. They call it NLP. And it's very interesting, um, the whole uh, program because it teaches you a lot about body language, how to create rapport, and it helped me a lot in the future time of, of my career and so forth. That Those kinds of things are really interesting. That was only maybe two hours at the most in the three mm-hmm. days, and it was uh, to do an integration technique, he called it, and I call it a process. So anyway, uh, I wave my hand, yes, yes, I want to be the volunteer, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I go in up front and uh, we went through the integration on the stabbing. And it was so miraculous. I could actually feel it in my brain, like shifting. I, I felt the the whole pattern just re, like the pat. let's say you have a pattern of fear. And you've collected everything that you've ever experienced about fear into that one web-like, but very stiff web. And it just felt like it unraveled and just came apart. And it was so incredible. And so I, what I did is I started using this integration or for anything I could think of. Anytime yeah. I was upset... Anytime I was, uh, things weren't going well, I did the integration. And that has been the major tool that I use working with clients because it just is incredible. Um, I mean, I, uh, later on I was invited to go to Japan and Hong Kong and to Australia. And yeah. I used in personal sessions, I used it it's like in Japan with a translator. I had one hour and I have to tell you, people shifted in a half an hour. I'd wow. hug them. We put the pieces together, and they were different people after that. And it, it's and that's what I've experienced with everybody. It I break it up into uh, the four cornerstones of life, which we had kind of talked about, and that's your health, how how well you feel, your all your various energy and everything, your wealth. That's more energy how you're using that wealth and abundance, love, your relationships, and self-expression, any way that you're creatively expressing yourself to bring that full self out. So health, wealth, love, and self-expression are the four cornerstones of your life. 
And if anyone is missing, the building starts to tilt. Mm. Okay, it starts to be off balance. So sometimes it could say in many cases uh, with wealthy people, they've got the wealth. They've got good health, perhaps, you know, to go running every day, play sports, golf, whatever. And they may have love. They have the person. And they'll go, what's missing? What's missing? Yes. Well, their self-expression. They've some kind of creativity that they're actively involved in. You can say it's a creative to create a company or it's creative to fix up a home. There's also, those things are creative. But I like to think of it as really getting into clay, if you're doing it, or painting or singing or dancing or something that's creatively expressing you. So um, that particular... Uh, process, which I then changed the name or added to the name, calling it mm-hmm. the infusion integration process. And I was, I, it was just integration technique for a long time in my mind. And then one day I was thinking, it seems like there should be another word. And so I laid on my bed and I'm just thinking there and not thinking, I'm just hoping to hear, get an, ex, uh, an idea. Uh-huh. And uh, the word infusion came. Really? And I looked it up in the dictionary. And in that dictionary, I don't know if it's in every dictionary, but that one said, <laughs> when spirit enters form. And I said, wow. That's when you're bringing spirit into form to heal you. And you can say yes if you're doing a prayer, if I'm doing something that uh, is that way, yes. But this particular method it actually is bringing your higher self in to do it. If you'd like, I could uh, go through a quick example of it. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, just so people have an idea. I have my latest book is The Power of Wholeness, which is the idea of bringing all of the parts of us together. The idea of that is that I believe we have many different subpersonalities, different parts of us that have different ideas. And different mm-hmm. beliefs. And I think I said to you before that uh, I love to think of it as we think of ourselves as captain of our ship, master of our fate, right? Uh-huh. But I see uh-huh. it as a pirate ship and the crew's planning mutiny. Mm. <laughs> There's some parts that are saying, let's head for that island. Another one says, let's get that ship. Another one might just say, I want to go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, just like, let me out of here. And... <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing is that these mutinous parts of ourselves that have opposing beliefs, negative beliefs, we think of them as, that's the blocks that everybody talks about. You know, a lot of the coaches, they talk about, you know, uh, they, I'm going to help you get rid of the blocks. And then I, I, I look at what they're doing, and it, it doesn't, because it's not, the thing is, you can't get rid of them. You have to integrate mm. them, okay? Mm. Because you can't say, Good, we're going to walk the plank. <clears throat> You're out of here. No. What happens is they go deeper, and they come up another way to show you that their belief is correct, okay? That's basically part of what happened with me with the, the stabbing incident. The part of me that says you've got to be careful all the time and see there's a scary world, da-da-da-da, showed me. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not just uh, that, but there were other things that came up for me. 
So here's all these different parts inside of us. And the people think of it as this noisy sometimes. You can't even think because you've got all this stuff mm. going on, right? And you've been moved out of it. You moved yourself out of the um, interaction world to some extent by going out in your camper, right? And yeah. is it quieter yeah. for you in your head? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've never felt okay. so aligned. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because you've, got, you've gotten uh, into a space where you're feeling freer, which is the name of your... Mm of your program, right? They get that freedom. And so if you've got somebody inside of you saying, uh, let's say there's a positive part that says, you know, I'd love to be wealthy. I'd like to have more money. I could do a lot of things with it, you know, and I can help a lot of people. You know, I'd love to have that. And the other part is saying, you know, there's problems with having money. You've got to keep track of all this stuff. There's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, your friends might not like you. <laughs> you know, you've got, it's like yeah. when I go through people with this, whether it's health or wealth or whatever, there's this huge list that is saying it's not a good idea. Yeah. Huge list. That, is, that resonates so much. It took me over five years of just... Uh, yeah, to get to the point I am now, because there were so many voices like, "No, you can't do that." Yeah, they're Being just caught up they're in just, the shoulds and should nots. Yeah, yeah, they're so noisy, and they have. I see them as one of them will get an idea. Let's say, well, wealth. You know how wealthy people are. They're not very nice. You know, they mm. most of them are thieves, and yeah, that's a whole belief, right? So if mm. you believe that, what? Why would you want it, right? If you, right. you know, you have to pay high taxes if you've got wealth, if you have a lot of money coming in. Good God, how would I handle all that stuff, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And then another part will say, yeah, let's just win the lottery, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy says, what would you, how would you handle it? And it, it, gets, it gets crazy. So I believe that the ones that are saying no, and basically the ones that are saying yes, create their little room, have their own room quite isolated usually, and they put up pictures. <laughs> Have you ever seen, like, um, it was a beautiful mind with the actor from Australia. Uh, oh, God. He also played in, uh, God, I can't think right now. The wonderful guy, the, the wonderful one of the best actors, I think, in the world. But anyway, mm. he, uh, in the beautiful mind, is playing this uh uh, scientist, a true story, scientist who is um, becoming schizophrenic or has become schizophrenic. And, mm-hmm. and it happens, you see it in other shows where you go into a room and they've got all kinds of pictures on the wall, right? And articles from newspapers and all that stuff. That's the way I see the subpersonalities. Mm. They pasted up all the proof that their yes. belief is true, right? Uh-huh. And they are looking for it all the time in a, in a video or in a, in a movie or in a magazine. They've got it all on the wall. So you try and tell them that they're wrong. Well, here's the proof, and I'll bring you to proof tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get it again. You're going to get it. Yeah. So I <laughs> I just can't even – it's just too unbelievable how it works. Because when you look at the world, what's happening and has been happening, we get so caught up in our beliefs 
and saying mm. somebody else is so wrong and they're the ones that we blame for what's wrong with our life, right? Guess what? We're all one. Everybody that shows up outside of you is one of those parts of you showing you who you are, showing what you're thinking. And even though you don't want to hear it, you don't want to hear it, right. and usually they do it at extreme, right? They're going to say, uh, oh, gained a lot of weight, have you? What have you been eating? It's the exact words you talked to yourself this morning. You look right. in the mirror and say, I, I, I gained a lot of weight. Uh-huh. What have I been eating? And so they come up and, 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 you know, they might even be a stranger and they just come up to you and say that. You know, and it's like, thanks so much. But it's showing mm. up outside. It's showing up outside. So this is the, the game. So what we do is, let's say, um, everybody wants wealth. Let's say, I think everybody wants wealth. Well, except the parts that don't, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to put you put one hand is the part of you, which hand of me wants more wealth. Here you are. And we, I, I always say, hold them up. Say hi. Okay. You, you'd really like to have a bigger income. Okay. Now they're going to have the part of you that says, not a good idea. Not a good idea. So he asked the part of you, what are the advantages of having more wealth? And you make a list, and and I usually, maybe if I'm working with a client, I, I write everything down that we come up with of all the advantages. So, you know, that you can travel, you can get uh, a nice home if you want to, uh, you can get a boat if you want to, and <laughs> you can get a van that you live in, and you can do yeah. all these different things, right? And, uh, and maybe help other people. If you had a fortune, it'd be great to help, you know, kids that don't have money and all of that stuff. Super. So you've got a super list of advantages. Okay, what are the advantages of not having wealth? That's the key. What is it doing for you? Because usually we think, oh, they're sabotaging me, they're terrible, they're doing awful things to me. No, they always, 100% of the time, even if it's one that's dealing with health and it appears that they're trying to kill you, (laughs) not (laughs) nice to say, but with a with a life-threatening disease and this those parts think they're helping you i've actually had people when i'm doing the integration and we say there's the part of you that you know thinks it's better for you to have cancer and they go you are (laughs) start beating them up right (laughs) Ah! no and and the separation is huge right Mm. so you say okay what are the advantages well, let's, in this case, we're going to say the advantages of not having wealth. Well, I, I'm i pretty comfortable. You know, I have just enough money. Well, maybe not always enough money. But, you know, if I have to work really super hard and, and, and you know, 20, $20 a day and, and everything, I, I, just, I just don't want to do that. And, uh, well, what else is an advantage? Well, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to pay any taxes because I don't make enough money. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, uh, you know, they say that uh, being free is like having nothing left to lose or something like that. You know, just you, 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 that idea that you just, 
hang out, you know, and you don't have to do anything. Uh, what else? Uh, well, if I had a lot of money, if you had a lot of money, saying to you as a whole being, you wouldn't do anything. You'd just hang out, you, you know. And then this part says, but we're just hanging out anyway. <laughs> yeah, but you'd hang out richer, you know. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? So yes, anyway, back and forth, yeah. Yeah, and you get a dialogue between them to say, well, you know, but this, but that, you know, and it, but this is the, the, the game. And so you get your list of the advantages that you think you have. And then you say, what we'd like you to do is if, if there were a way to this part of you that is saying no to wealth, what if there were a way that you could have all the advantages of not being wealthy? You could still keep your friends. You could, it wouldn't be a lot of work, but it, you, you know, you'd find that maybe your talents and abilities could be actually rewarded more than you think. And you could, you didn't have to pay a lot of taxes because you had write-offs or something, you know, some way that works. Uh, you got to travel, but uh, and you got to hang out, but you could also keep busy and, and use your ability. And that part of you could say, well, yeah, if we had all that. Sometimes mm-hmm. they say maybe. It's <laughs> <laughs> a start. <laughs> you know, because it's like, it's a, like another person inside of you that has made a very strong decision about that idea. And so the only through dialogue can you can you get back. So anyway, we say, okay, if there was a way, you'd be willing to change. Maybe. All right. What we'd like you to do now is close your eyes. And everybody can do this with us as if they've got a part of them that says wealth is not as uh, great a thing as, you know, that's been advertised to be. And we ask that part to go now to the creative part of our being to come up with three ways in which that can happen, that you can have everything on this list of why it's good not to have money and everything on the list about what it is good to have the money. You can have all of it. Not either or. You get to have it all. Mm-hmm. And you're going to the creative part of you that is a beautiful room is filled with fantastic computers and you allow it, you know, some angels that know the answer to everything. And they're going to come up with those three ways. And we ask all parts of you to check and make sure it's a win-win for everybody. And then what we're going to do is ask you to hold the two hands up. And you don't have to know, by the way, how that's going to happen. Mm. You're just going to be, have three ways that it happens. And you won't, you won't have to think about it. So we're going to hold the two hands up facing each other. And see the part of you for so long has said, because they have examples of wealth not being a good thing. And here's the part that sees that as just energy, you know, energy to work with. And what I want you to do now Slowly bring the two hands together until they're touching. And see the two of them right there up close and intertwine the fingers. See them hug each other. Bring them up to your heart. And then ask all parts of you to form a huddle around those two, sending them love and healing. 
and imagine your higher self, a greater aspect of who you really are, sending love and healing to the two in the center. See them walking hand in hand and going down this pathway, and they go up a hill, and there's a bench there, and there's these beautiful gardens and flowers, and they're going to talk now about how they can work together, how they can have their full power together and not be divided anymore. So that's what we do, and it's like bringing it together. The more I really want people to learn this. It's not hard, you know, it's just very easy, and to use it in every way you possibly can, because it's just when you're having uh, an upsetting day, I'm going to give you a little, a little, another little tool that's really helpful. If you are experiencing upset or you're watching something on TV that's upsetting or see an accident, whatever, these two frontal lobes, if you hold them, put your fingers here, they are the area of your body will help keep your body organized. And that it, it allows you, I and mean, when you've seen like in movies, someone gets bad news and they go, oh my God, yeah, that's a natural yeah. uh, reaction. So you hold the lobes. It could be an ugly building that you don't like. You know, it could be anything that is upsetting to you and you hold the lobes and you let, just feel it and look at it and say, yeah, okay, I got it. And what it does is allows you you know, you hear that you've got a bad disease. Hold the lobes. Hold the lobes. Be on the telephone with somebody that's driving you crazy. Hold the lobes. <laughs> it really, right? It is like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, that particular experience shifted my life, allowed me to be free, mm. allowed me to travel again, allowed me to do things that, I had put myself in a box. It's like, um, you know, the castles have big walls and it was there to protect them. But they start being prisons. You know, they hold you. Mm. They pre- they protect, but they also uh, re- stop you from doing anything. And so that those the fears that we have uh, are like prison, like a prison. And so, you know, and again, back to the name of your show, because uh, in pursuit of freedom, freedom has to come from inside yourself. It mm. has to be there first. You have to have, and, some, and then it will reflect out into the world. And in, in the case of doing the, uh, the integration, I did it with a, another lady who was a podcaster, uh, I think about a month ago, we did it with money. And she worked, did it with me. And the next day she received $20,000. Oh, my. I know, a $20,000 client came and, you know, just out of the blue. And it it works. It just works. And because what is the block? The block is this part saying no. You know, and our guides are always there to help us 100% of the time. They're 24-7. They don't have to actually stand next to you. But my guide says, we do. We stand next to you. And we twiddle mm-hmm. our thumbs, waiting for you to ask for something. Uh-huh. So finally we say, <laughs> I really would like to have some more money in my life. You know, it would really be nice. And it, and the guy goes, they asked for something. <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they've made a statement. And so they get busy. 
and they set up the trail, like I talked about, the treasure hunt, where you you have uh, you're walking down the street, you see an ice cream store, you think. I don't really need ice cream, but it sure sounds good. And you go in and you see something on the wall about an event. You say, oh, that could be interesting. And then you go to the event. And so things all move in the way that you'd like it to, to get to a place where whatever it is you're asking for is more likely. He says, then, my guide says, we get it all set up. And then you say, but that can't happen. And they have to say, stop everything. <laughs> right? They, we, we, we've just canceled it. That can't happen. I don't know. Does that really work? Mm, I don't, mm. You know. And as soon as we do that, we're, they have to throw it away because we have free will. So they can't help if we are turning it down. And that's right. the whole point. Yeah. Mm. And there's this wonderful quote in your book, "The Power of Wholeness." I'll read it out because it's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So you say suppressing or repressing parts of us involves denying or avoiding certain aspects of yourself, which can lead to ongoing problems. On the other hand, integrating beliefs consists in acknowledging and accepting all parts of yourself, even the ones that may be difficult or uncomfortable. And it's important to remember that integration, (laughs) yeah, right, doesn't mean you eliminate parts of your mind or memories. So I want to hear your thoughts. Why why do we have this natural tendency to suppress or repress those parts of ourselves? It all comes from the programming that we get in school, from our parents, Mm -hmm. from the media, uh, from friends. It just, we, we hear a statement and then... We take it in, and over time, we start to believe it's true. Or we, our, our body and our minds react to it as if it's true. One mm-hmm. example I had, which is in the book also, I think, is uh, my mom used to say, uh, don't go out in the rain, because I love to go out in the rain and play. I thought that was uh-huh. really great. You know, uh, You'll catch cold. So I was about, oh, I don't know. 25, 26 years old, and I uh, was leaving the office. I think this was up in Northern California, leaving the office, and they, uh, uh, it was raining. Not a lot, just sort of sprinkling. And uh, I got wet, and I get in the car, and by the time I get in the car, I'm feeling like I have a sore throat, and that my nose is running, you know, and I'm going, oh, there's that belief. Mm. there's that belief. And I said, that is ridiculous. You know, I only was out there a couple of minutes in that room. (laughs) Part of me, uh, you've got to get over that. That belief is not a true belief. It's just Mm -hmm. not, you Mm -hmm. know, and I did the quick integration, which sometimes looks like this. No, but then I, I try to be nice after that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such a simple example, but I feel like it, and this is a theme in your book too, is that these beliefs can become self-fulfilling prophecies. Totally, totally, 100%. And I see it yeah. everywhere because I'm so aware of it. 
that you see people acting out a belief in hundreds and hundreds of beliefs. Now, when you're saying, you know, you can get it into the, the religious realm and people will say, but I believe, you know, okay, that's fine, as long as it's serving you, as long as it's serving right. you. But if it's if your belief, like some people that have, unfortunately, uh, a belief from the from Mohammedism, that it's all right to kill the person that doesn't uh, believe like you, then that's not all of them, of course. But it's the, the, it is a part of jihad, so to speak. That doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's not a good belief. It and and. And but yet people get programmed from an early age to believe it. You know, there's so many beliefs in our in our current society that are. You just go, are you kidding me? Really, this is what you believe? <laughs> oh, and you know, and then you've got to within yourself because you can't change everybody, but. In myself, I have to then say, okay, they want to believe what they want to believe, and you can't believe that they believe that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, let's integrate it so I don't feel so upset about it. I don't feel so upset. Because what this does is it brings peace to the ship, to yourself. You know, it brings peace because as long as you're condemning and, and everything, the other person, you're judging them and, Again, if they're if they're in your in your space mm-hmm. and they're making you really upset, you have to look inside and say, "Why mm-hmm. is this upsetting me? Mm-hmm. You know, why is this upsetting me? What what is a part of me think or believe that says this is not acceptable?" And uh, God, how many examples could we come? <laughs> so oh, many right. I don't have some every day that I need to look at, you know. Right. You know, it's like John and we're driving along because unfortunately the pandemic knocked out a lot of businesses in this area. And uh and a lot of across the country, I'm sure. Uh but in this area of Los Angeles and everywhere in Los Angeles. So you go what we're driving along a Look, there's a place for you to rent. There's a place where you can have a business. There's a place. Over and over. I'm going, so what does that mean to me, right? There's a part of me Uh that's talking like that. And I'm saying, that's enough. You know, you don't have to keep showing each one to me. Right. Why is it? Why is it that happening? Why is a part of me outside of me doing that? Because there's a part of me that's very upset about the fact that all those poor people are out of business. So right. I have to do the integration. What are the advantages? Oh, they got to go do something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they got a new life. It was a change, you know. And it was a, right, you know. And, and it, again, there's so many areas that if you can allow yourself to be aware of it, be aware of what you're thinking and feeling, what is making you angry, what is making you sad, and it's always come back to the beliefs. The beliefs are the first aspect of it, of creating your reality. Okay? They are the seeds. It's like planting a seed. And out of that seed comes some kind of a plant. Right? It can be a, a cactus, or it can be a rose. It can be a beautiful oak tree. So you've got seeds. Another way to look at it is it's paint, you're painting a painting. Right? 
and you decide to put a, a color on the on the paint on the canvas. And so you go down and you bring up and you put a peach color there. And you go, where did that? Oh, peach is on there. Well, because you put the peach there. (laughs) 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 You know, how come there's a cactus in my garden? Because you planted a cactus. It's really, it's it's annoying. I'm going to annoy as many people as are going to like this stuff because it's it's like, oh, I don't want it to be like that. It's really true that, you know, that whole group of people made my life miserable. Mm, so easy to ago. blame people, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The blame game is saying that you had nothing to do with it. The, the peach showed up on the canvas by itself. Oh, no, because of those people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the cactus showed up in your garden because of those people. No, no, we have to look inside, and it shifts our life dramatically. And when that was finished with the integration regarding the stabbing, the man, it all turned out that all of it was about change, right? Everything that we do that it has a drastic experience is about changing our lives. We're going in the wrong direction, or part of it thinks so. And he said one of the things that's so beautiful of what if in the future you didn't have to have accidents or bad experiences to make changes? What if from now on you could make them gracefully, easily? I really believe that. I have a feeling, though, that there will be people, maybe not the people listening, but there'll be people out there who think, oh, not my fault I was in an act you know I've got nothing to do with it right and and you you're conscious the conscious you didn't the conscious you certainly didn't want that to happen no the part of you that's out in the normal real world does not want to have a life-threatening illness be attacked uh have a crummy relationship uh or you know just feel like you're empty and you don't have anything to share in your creativity okay those four areas are and and has no money in their pocketbook so no you don't want that you want something else but there's a part of you through the programming that is setting it up so that's what's happening because it thinks it's helping you mm-hmm. and that's the hardest part you know, you really think you're helping me? Yeah, I'm helping you, you know? And so th- that has been part of the experience. And oh, just just these different things. What happened then from the Chamber of Commerce in Seaside, I got to help bring businesses there and in uh, a health center that they needed. And, and, and you know, you just feel like, most people, I think, feel really good when they get to help make something happen that is advantageous. And so a new bank had come to town. He invited, the owner invited me to come to dinner in Pebble Beach at the Lodge of Pebble Beach, which is a gorgeous place. And uh, it's all gated by Carmel and this beautiful pine forest and you know, looking out beautiful ocean views. If you look up Pebble Beach, uh, as people, they, they understand. Um, and so I was sitting next to the president of the 
Pebble Beach. And there was uh, some people that were from, uh, they were like representatives from our government, from California. And it very, no, I felt very honored to be there. And it was, yeah. it was cool. Yeah. And uh, we hit it off very nice. And our letters uh, from Tom as the president and myself crossed in the mail where he said, if I ever can do anything for you. And I said I, how much I enjoyed the experience. And a few, about a month, I think it was about two months later, I had a feeling. There's those feelings, folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen to the feeling. Uh, we didn't have cell phones in those days, but I uh, pulled off the road, found a phone booth, and called him. And uh, he said, oh, yes, I remember you. He said, uh, it's, it, our uh, director of sales has just left. <laughs> Come on over. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And so that wow. was like dying and going to heaven. I mean, working there and working with big corporations and wealthy people. And one guy who he didn't have rooms for the nights he wanted to come. And he, he's talking to me on the phone. He said, Verlaine, you don't understand. I just got a new Rolls Royce. I've got to come to Pebble Beach. <laughs> and you're going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get the wealth I wanted, but I sure was around it, you know, and I felt like yeah. I was uh, a wealthy person there. Yeah. So that was really cool. And then I got into some classes in Carmel that were all spiritual classes talking about consciousness and awareness and things. I didn't even know what that meant. I, I you know, mm-hmm. all of that was, was new, even though I've been doing this kind of metaphysical thing of writing yeah. my lists and receiving and going. And uh, that was really a life-changing kind of thing. And it came after John, my sweetheart, had started doing some automatic writing. And he called me, he's got a degree in uh, psychology, and he called me one day at the lodge and he said, uh, I think I've lost my mind. <laughs> I, heard, <laughs> I said, oh, good. And he said, I heard a voice in my head dictating some information. And uh, and I started writing it because it was so unusual. And I've written 27 pages. Wow. And I said, wow. I guess you have lost your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I went home and started reading it, and it started out with the, the words, present spending persona. So what are we? We're a personality, a persona, spending our energy in the world. I mean, I figured that out after figure, spending a lot of time thinking about it. And mm-hmm. so we started looking up words. They were normal words, but the way they were put together were mm. unusual, you know. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know what was going on, and... One day we're talking about it in a restaurant and the waitress overheard us and she came over and she says, oh, he's doing automatic writing. (laughs) Okay. And that's when we got the word about going to the classes, which started to open up and understand, you know, the broader picture uh, of the world. And in this process, they were talking about taking chances and, and letting yourself grow even more, right? And so decided to go up to um, Silicon Valley and have our own public relations firm. 
and I got clients. And then somebody called me and said, uh, we have, we're doing a new company and uh, would like, uh, so I mean, I he saw my ad in the, in the phone book for my company of Crawford Marketing Consultants. And he said, we need a business plan because we have some investors. And that was uh, Intelligent Technologies. And I got in at the beginning and, and helped work with the company. And it turned out I was the first female executive for a high-tech company. They even put it in People Magazine. <laughs> yeah, wow. People. Oh, yeah, it was so cool. And uh, it was it was very, very interesting, just an incredible experience. And I didn't know anything about computers. And yeah. <laughs> at that and the, that was when the PC was just coming out. It was right after Apple, mm-hmm. and this was the new PC, and they were developing a, a whole program. There, there, there are many different things. It was I went into I had learned about channeling by watching some videos and reading some books, um, and uh, so I thought, well, I'll go in the ladies' room and look in the mirror, and I said, if you're there, speak through me when I go in the meeting, because. Right? <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And there wasn't any books at that time about marketing computers because they were brand new and no classes. And Mm -hmm. so I went into the meeting and then all this information started flowing out of me going, you know, you're going to do this. We're going to be in these magazines. We're going to be at these uh, trade shows. And it was like, okay, this is good. (laughs) And they never asked where, how do you know all that? Yeah, it's so spooky. (laughs) Yeah. When we last spoke, you were telling me about this garage sale you went to. Can you tell us the story about the garage sale? Absolutely. Well, I had already been uh, sold the first company, our intelligent technologies, to a company in England. And its name was Logica. So I thought it made a lot of sense that Logica went with intelligent technologies, right? <laughs> That's the way I look at things. And, and, and isn't that fun? If You know, people, if you, you get too close to the project, you get too into it, go back. Look at it and say, wow, it makes sense. They've got to go together, right? So uh, then I was in the second company, which was called Syntactics, and I got a big contract with them with AT&T. And again, all of this has to do with spooky stuff, with with listening and paying attention to what you feel. And I actually was carrying the books with me, <laughs> uh, The Course in Miracles. I had one on my desk at the office. Mm. And uh, they, uh, you know, they thought I was very funny, but they saw the results. <laughs> see, the interesting thing about mm, the world mm. is if they see the results of what you're doing, is is cool. I, I it would it is like it makes what you're thinking and what you're doing happen so much faster. And there's whole stories about that. But anyway, so I was done with the second company, pretty much, and I was creating something new, as I called it. Um, oh, can't think of it right this second. I was bringing together groups of people in Silicon Valley and uh, up in San Francisco and sharing positive experiences and positive thoughts and so forth. So I was doing these luncheons and 
then I met this uh, lady who told me I about a garage sale. <laughs> right. And yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I don't need to go to a garage sale. But anyway, <laughs> right. uh, she said that they she had some great clothes from uh, you know some fancy department store and it's worth going and da da da. Mm-hmm. So. It's come Saturday morning, and I'm just not wanting to go, and I'm hearing in my head again, go to the garage sale, go to the garage sale. So I said, so I called the number I had, and they uh, didn't answer. So I said to the this angel or part of me or whatever it was is saying, go to the garage sale. I said, I can't, I, I don't know where it's located. I can't go. And they said, you'll find it. Get in your car, you'll find it. Sure, okay. So I'm driving down the street, and I see after, I don't know, I said, go direct me, turn left, turn right. And then they said, uh, I look up, and there on a telephone pole was a, a sign, you know, garage sale with the address. So I drove there, and they had accidentally unplugged the phone. So that was one gift we get to give, you know, that they get their phone back on. And I see this young man sitting on a couch, and uh, I I just feel like I don't look at anything in the house. I never did that whole day, nothing. I just went over to this young man, and I just felt like I was magnetized there. And I sat down next to me, sitting on the couch, and we started talking, and it turned out he had just started channeling and for a couple of weeks. And I said, well, I've never had a private session with somebody. Would you mind if, you know, I came over and he said, oh, that'd be good. Yeah. So he, he and his girlfriend were there, and he went into trance. He went, like, off, and the energy, you could almost feel energy changing in the room. And he came out with a very different voice and uh, started kind of talking and telling something. I, I can't remember how he started, but he usually... Uh, beings that channel through someone start with a bigger picture of things and what's going on and so forth. And so then he said, "Do you have any questions?" And I said, uh, "Well, yeah. Is the is the Big Bang theory correct of the universe?" <laughs> just a small question. <laughs> and just a little question. So this is that's my astronomer coming up, right? That part of me. Uh-huh. And she, uh, he said, oh, it's a, it's a breathing in and a breathing out of the universe. It comes in and out. It gets created and then it moves back. And I said, well, that's, that's a good answer. That's interesting. And uh, so we asked some more questions. And then he said, well, I have something to tell you. And I said, what? And he said, you can channel also. And I said, oh. I, I don't think so. You know, I'm I'm doing all this stuff with corporations and everything. I don't think that would work. And he said, well, if you want to try, uh, these young people, man and woman, are moving, uh, but I can have them stay a few days, and we can work with you to allow you to come in. Anyway, he did, and it was a, a fascinating experience of... Uh, I was laying on the couch, and I uh, seemed to see in my mind's eye a uh, a seven-foot-tall light being. I couldn't see a face, just light. And I just got really, you know, kind of a little bit nervous, and then the energy came closer and started coming in my head. 
And what they had told me to do is pretend like I, my body was a car and I was going to move over uh, out of the driver's seat and let this guide come through and speak through me. And he, uh, that energy came like into my head and it felt really strange and started moving down my chest and into my arms. And then what my guide does is he stretches my hands out and moves like to make room, it feels like, you know, when that energy comes in. And uh, first time, that very first time, all of a sudden my body starts moving all over and uh, I'm like ready to fall off the couch. And so Kate says, uh, get in the back seat, get in the back seat. <laughs> this is my car. My body's a car. I'm in the back seat. So I pretend like I'm driving, getting in the back seat. And as soon as I get there, I take my hands and I go around this being and mm-hmm. grab the steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving up control, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So uh, that, they said, look, no, enough, enough. And so the guy moved out. And so the next day they said, let's try the idea. Our guide says to try the idea that you have your own steering wheel. And so mm-hmm. you don't have to grab the steering wheel away. So the energy comes in and I'm like this around my steering wheel going, one false move and you're out of here. <laughs> yeah. A, a real welcoming kind of person. <laughs> oh, God. And so I, I calm down and I feel this breathing. It's just, I, can't ident- I can't replicate the breathing. It's very deep and from a different space. And then the, the voice that came out was very different from my own. And it was a really spooky feeling. And then they started asking some questions, and the uh, some answers kind of started coming that I hadn't thought about. And so it was a very, very um, amazing beginning. And then over time, I Kate actually stayed with me. She or she came back. She was went up to Oregon or where they were planning, but then it didn't work out. So she came back and stayed with me. John was off in Europe at that point. It was, I tried, I wanted to be able to open my eyes because it started out that I closed my eyes and that voice was speaking and more people started to come and listen and everything. But I wanted to be able to open my eyes so I could have people look in my eyes and tell me if I was there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If they could see a difference, you know, and Mm. from that experience. And so I just kept practicing and uh, people would come. And eventually, like I said, because I would, <laughs> I'd serve treats and I'd serve coffee or <laughs> butter and everything, you know, and he said, you're going to have to charge something for people to come because I was mm-hmm. just doing it for free. And, uh, and then I started doing private sessions and so forth. And then people, uh, different friends of friends would uh, say, well, we, could we host you at our, at my home? You know, and so in different areas of Los Angeles, like out in the valley and, and near Santa Monica and down in Long Beach, different people would invite their friends, and then I'd come and uh, speak and do private sessions for people, and they could ask questions and stuff. And I kept doing it because I left. I listened to some of the tapes, and it was good material. It was good, interesting from 
you know, from expanding more on the belief system, expanding more on how we create our reality, uh, expanding more on other dimensions, and and so forth. So it became a major part of my life. And then the uh, one man came to one of the workshops, and I think that was the one in Santa Monica, and uh, he said... Uh, he asked me if I would be interested in going to Japan to teach. Wow. I said, yeah, that'd be great, <laughs> you know. And so I went for a month, and uh, it was a, the organization was uh, one, O-N-E, Opportunities Never End. And I thought, that's pretty cool, right? Like your, the name of your show as well. They had, had decided to do this. Uh, his daughter, this man's daughter, uh, they happened to be from Israel, and she was working in Japan, in Tokyo, and then she had made, met this other man, Mr. Sato, and they did, wanted to bring uh, teachers and channelers and healers to Japan, and then eventually what they were thinking of setting up uh, retreat centers to, you know, an experience. So I went to Tokyo and then Osaka, and Osaka usually uh, two weeks in Tokyo and two weeks in Osaka, and I do a weekend seminar and then usually eight private sessions. I had never done such long channelings before. Mm. So that was, uh, that was getting used to that energy, you know, because it's, it's, it's intense and you have to balance it and, you know, so anyway, that that's the the channeling aspect of what has and taken place. And all of this from a garage sale <laughs> you didn't even want to go to, you didn't even have the address for, but you listened to your intuition and then, like, wow, how life-changing. I know, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by still all of it and by the things that, that continue to happen. I mean, Japan, after all these years, because that was in uh, – uh, I went, to, started going in 1992 and went like six, seven times through 94. And then uh, they came, my, cl- my classmate, the class people came to Idlewild because now I did move to Idlewild up on the mountain. And that was uh, awesome. You know, they, I, I did the Four Cornerstones of Life with the channeling, and then actually I have some tapes of that, but I haven't set them up as, uh, you know, digital yet. They're in storage right now. But so what has happened after all that? I went oh, From there I went to Hong Kong, and then they invited me to and sponsored me to go to Australia, to Melbourne and Sydney, which was just wonderful. I love the people in Australia. And then with Power Places Tours, I went to Bali for Earth Day and was there. And then they had another trip to Italy to a sacred site in in Italy. And then I went there. And then the Japanese came to Italy. It was so lovely. They are so sweet. Oh, my God. You know, they started treating me like I was their mom. It was uh, was very sweet. (laughs) It's just darling people. And uh, and then uh, about four years ago, I guess, they actually came to Palm Springs and, for classes and uh, and personal sessions. And then I've recently have gotten a call that they are interested in me doing work on uh, 
on the you know on Zoom, so to speak, you know, and yeah, yeah. Again, and it's like it's like it just comes like it's waves coming in, and so it's amazing this, what comes to you, right? Yeah, you it is, and 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 that's the listening, and that's because I've been very stubborn all the way along. I mean, you know, it's just. <laughs> I can't help it. You know, I, I, I'm a Sagittarius, which is open, Gemini, which is a communicator, but I have a Taurus moon, and the Taurus moon is, I know what I should be doing, right? And it, right, no. right. And that's the trick. Um, I believe that we came to this planet with a direct connect to guidance, and that's the way it was supposed to be. They say, you're going down there, you're going to have an experience there, uh, it's, it's a little tough because, uh, you know, most people aren't too aware. But we're always here for you. And I think that's what the, uh, when they talk in the Bible about the uh, Eden, you know, of, of the garden. And when they ate of the tree of knowledge, which is bringing together all these beliefs, we no longer could be connected to, or we never, we didn't think we were connected. We turned our backs on the connection to the guidance, the spiritual guidance that is always available. Uh, and it's it's a, a shame because most people feel they're separate. They're separate from God. They're separate from the angels. They don't know anything about a higher self, that that energy is who you are, that you really are part of the whole that the universe is inside of you, you know? and that is is so freeing because you have that help and you know the expansiveness and the possibilities. I mean, I, I did a thing where I was at a, a person's house and they had a beautiful piano and this young man, it was his grandparents' house and my mom was talking to the grandparents in the other room and here is this beautiful grand piano up on a little stage. And the two of us, are the grandson, who is about 22, I think, at the time, and I are trying to play chopsticks together. We don't even, he, there's nothing <laughs> happening here, you know, yeah. <laughs> just noise. And, uh, and then I said, oh, I said, you kind of heard that I do something weird, you know, that I can kind of do this <laughs> thing called channeling. And, yeah. and he goes, I don't maybe, you know, he didn't know what I was talking about, uh-huh. really. And so I said, I'm going to just try something. And so I went into, I went, I, get, I think of it as kind of moving over and going deep inside of me or leaving, one or the other. And uh, I saw like a uh, Franz Liszt, let's say, of uh, all dressed in the costume of his day. Let's say in the 1700s, I think he was. Anyway, a very classical musician. And I said, uh, maybe you can play through me, right? So this energy came in and into my hands, down my arms, into my hands, and starts playing. They're going over and hitting all these notes. And, and, and then somebody else came in, another guy, another uh, person from the other side and starts playing. And uh, and then all of a sudden I realize that his grandparents and my mom are in the other room and they're going to wonder what's going on and I better, yeah. you know, stop. <laughs> and so when I came back into the room, 
I look and my and the grandparents and my mom are on the edge of this little stage that the piano was on, looking up at me and going, "How did you do that?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, "I said, well, I hope I didn't scare you. I I, I just you know brought through those musicians." And uh, and they go, oh no, you didn't scare us. Just a minute, we want to go get the tape recorder and tape. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so impossible things can happen right. if you want right. to allow it. You yeah. couldn't make this stuff up. It's so fun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and and at the same time, to stay practical, stay, stay grounded in this world. And with love and compassion, realize that it's it is what it is. That it's uh, you know it has problems. There's many wonderful people here, and uh, and yet at the same time that you can expand yourself and experience other dimensions. You've got such an amazing story and, you know, channeling and integration sounds like it has truly changed your life, life-changing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think most people, if not all, we all have this yearning to be whole, to feel complete, to know our true selves. But there's all these blocks Right. So would you say that a good place to start is integration? It, yes, definitely. And and to start making a list of the things you think you'd like in your life that you would prefer. You know, I call okay. it, you prefer, I prefer to have this. Uh, and one of the ones that I asked for was I prefer to feel peaceful inside, mm. to feel that peace and and. and to allow myself to see the beauty around, you know, I just, when you start opening up, it's so amazing. The colors get brighter. And that's the other thing that I, I did is I, I started painting at 70, how old was I? 76, started doing oil painting and they turned out so nice. I couldn't believe it. You know, they're just, they were, uh, you have to take a look at, on my website. It's called uh, Creative Life Adventures which is the way I think of my life, you know, as yeah. creative life adventures. The other thing that is incredibly important, so that you do make your list, you put a date, and you mm -hmm. say, I will have, or I have, ideally it would be I have a beautiful home I'm living in, in, uh, say, next uh, June 2024. Uh, I have the person that I love deeply who loves me, who's everything I've ever asked for or could, could ever imagine that fits me, you know, I have that person in September next year, you know, or whatever, whatever the dates might feel good to you about. Then when you, the integration is, if it didn't happen, why not, you know? Or looking at, it, at things with the integration in your life and realizing that every time you get angry, you get upset, you get fearful, that's some kind of belief, you know, some program that starts running. 
And then the third thing, which you could could start with, is to fall in love with yourself. Mm. Fall in love with yourself. And I love this little story because this was a movie I watched where this very proper Englishman, and uh, I don't know if I told you this one, but he uh, is very, very proper. He's all looking in the mirror. And his butler is behind him. He says, oh, James, I have to tell you that the most important thing you can ever do is to fall in love with yourself. Because then you begin a lifelong love affair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's to fall in love with yourself and with life. With life. Mm. Okay. Because that is the texture, the taste, the smells, the beautiful smells. I can't go past a rose without taking a picture. And let, you know, it may be if it's half dead, probably not. But, you know, <laughs> th- th- this new book that I just finished uh, is called Endless Shades of the Mystical Rose. And it's poetry that I started writing um, when I had a, a down, downside of my life in a, in a relationship and then many others, and a lot of what seemed like coming from the angels, uh, these poems. So uh, I think you'd enjoy it. It's a, it's beautiful. I, I've been wanting to do it for a long time, so I finally published it. Dr. Crawford, thank you so much for your time. You have been so generous. And for those listening, if there's something simple you can take away from this and action right now, number one. Fall in love with yourself in life. Number two, write yourself a list. And number three, start practicing integration. Yes. 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 And go check out the Lane's website. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And if you want to do, uh, you know, any kind of working with me and and opening up uh, together, uh, give me a call because I I do take clients. And uh, it happens really. You could say I'm a coach, but... I, I really like to just get people moving, you know, get it, get you into that space mm-hmm. where you are strong and able to really do what you need to do on the planet, you know, and what's fun for you. Yes, we all deserve that, I think. Um, and on that note, we're going to bid you all farewell. Thank you so much for your time Thank and wisdom you. today. And I'm sure we will talk again soon. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and to know you. Thank you. Likewise. If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself and I'll see you next week.